Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to the RB1 colon fantasy football podcast brought to you by faketeams.com, part of the SB Nation podcast network. I am the host tonight with Pete Rogers out. I am Clark Barnes. Follow me at NFL Clark and I'm joined by Jordan Smith. Follow him at Jordan underscore 27. Jordan underscore Smith twenty seven. Ah, there we go. Okay. Except don't don't follow me or throw in anything into my mentions now because they've been on fire for the past twenty four hours. Yeah. So I I heard you fired off a hot WNBA tweet. Uh, what what happened? So basically, what had happened was let me actually bring up the tweet for for actual context here. It's not really, it's not a hot take. I don't even know how it caught like some, a little bit of fire because I didn't tweet at anybody that was like retweeting it or like somebody with a blue check mark who retweeted it. It somehow just caught fire. So Natalie Achanwa, um, so they, uh, her team played a game. Uh, we're talking Indiana Fever. They played a game in Seattle on what day was this even the 24th what day is the 24th monday um sunday i don't even know it was yesterday whatever day that is (laughs) we're recording on the 25th so um oh so i think it was on sunday night um so they basically had a lot of travel issues and like didn't get home back to indiana for like 24 hours or something like that and it was just kind of a bad look that a professional sports team had to endure that sort of uh, long travel, that sort of thing. That sort of stuff doesn't happen to other teams. I feel like on the professional level, I mean, we can get into the minutia of minor league teams and all that other stuff. But um, I had said, just through a quick Google search, I'm like, ESPN pays the WNBA $25 million per season to broadcast their games. They should have team planes. Um, just a very simple tweet. I am yeah. a newborn, uh, not newborn, I am a new Washington Mystics fan this season because this is my first year living out in D.C., never lives in a city with the WNBA team. And I'm like, hey, I want to follow this team so I can have some sort of local tie and I know basketball, so I don't have to, like, learn a new sport generally. And um, my point was that there is a – clearly people see some sort of value in the WNBA if they're willing to pay $25 million for the um, rights to air their games. Um, so I'm like, the ESPN doesn't 
doesn't commit $25 million per season to have these games broadcast on their channels if they don't make more than that $25 million back. They're not taking a loss. They're not breaking even. There's value in there. And, of course, I feel like it should be implied that this $25 million streaming is not, you know, the only means of income for individual NBA teams or WNBA teams. So I just got a, a lot of angry angry people in my mentions, angry men in my mentions saying that, uh, oh, the WNBA, even though the WNBA is an LLC, lost $10 million last year. So they, you know, you can't afford team planes or charters. And uh, yeah, it was just kind of a shit storm. Well, you know, two comments there. I'm really surprised that uh, they fly planes into Indiana. So good, good for Indiana. They're really, really coming up. Good job, guys. And uh, th- this harkens back to uh, one of the best sports movies ever made with Major League. Maybe the uh, Indiana ladies' owner is uh, going through some kind of scheme to tank to sell the team. Do you think that that's probably what's going on here? You know what? I, there is some chicanery with the team owners, I feel like, because part of it is that when people are saying that the WNBA lost $10 million last year, the WNBA is not like some sort of – it's not like these teams make all this money for the for the WNBA and the WNBA is the business writ large. Like franchises, sports franchises make money on their own, and teams break even or are profitable – or lose money every single year. Um, and I, from what I could find, there wasn't a lot of um, information on the web. A lot of articles also said that like WNBA, whatever individual franchise is making that, uh, that revenue information is extremely scarce and it's really hard to find. And I found that by doing some research, but I did look into like uh, the team owners and I, figured out some numbers for people who actually own these teams. Um, so, or for some of the teams, at least not all, not all 12, uh, the Los Angeles sparks are owned by an investment group that includes magic Johnson. Um, the net worth of the total group. Oh no. The net worth of magic Johnson alone is $600 million. Yeah. He's got um, that Starbucks money. Got that Starbucks money. Knows how to run a coffee shop. Not really great with running a basketball team. So hopefully he's a silent partner for the Sparks. Hey, apparently that wasn't his fault. <laughs> um, so the Washington Mystics owner, Ted Leonsis, has a net worth of a billion dollars. Uh, Minnesota Lynx owner has a net worth of uh, $2.9 billion. The New York Liberty, who were sold recently but purchased by Joseph Tsai, a billionaire tycoon from China, <laughs> billion net worth. Um, Oh, the Las Vegas Aces, this is my favorite one, who moved from San Antonio to Las Vegas, are owned by the MGM Resorts International. So, like, hotels and gambling. Uh, They have assets totaling $26.1 billion. Um, So, basically, if if these owners, if these groups, if they treated these teams like actual businesses and not, like, fun toys or commodities that rich people own. Like, oh yeah, I have a a yacht. I have, uh, ironically, my own private jet. Oh, and I own a sports franchise. Like, no, you have to put money into it, treat it like a business. And these 
people can afford to put a little bit of money into there to at least charter flights for their team so they don't look ragged um, and they don't look bad on the actual court. You know, you're putting money into your product. Like, look at Deshaun Watson last year when he had to bus around because because he was injured. But it makes a difference having to drive across states than to fly there comfortably. You know what I mean? Yeah, we... I think we can put most of that on the offensive line with Deshaun Watson, but I, I agree. Yeah. You know, if if you want someone to do well, it looks like there's plenty of money to be had, and it looks like the folks that that do own these teams may be able to spring for like the thirty or forty extra seats that may go to waste. But uh, at least you got to find out a lot of people on Twitter who you don't need to follow or worry about their opinion. If uh, someone came at you angry for saying like, "Hey, professional sports franchise, how about we get them their own plane?" doesn't even have to be their own plane. You can just rent one. Charter a plane, I think, is what people who know what they're talking about call that. So, Oh, yeah. Well, Very interesting. That's too expensive. But guess what, Clark? I have the numbers on that. It is not too expensive to charter a jet. So uh, Boeing, Boeing 737-400 and 737-800 cost uh, $9,000 to $11,000 per hour to charter. So, you know, folks like us, we couldn't get an hour in the air probably, but these NBA or the WNBA franchises could probably fly from DC to LA. So I took the mystic schedule um, because they played 19 away games, but the furthest they go is to play the Seattle storm. Um, they play Phoenix and they play Los Angeles. Los Angeles is like five and a half, six hour flight. Um, which would mean they would have to pay 55000 to $60,000 to charter a flight there, which isn't a lot. Wait, so these ladies have to be flying, like, economy for that money not to make sense. Well, also, it's like, how much money are they paying per ticket per person to fly on these planes anyway? You know what I mean? It's like, are they actually forcing them to connect? Are they... Or are they actually getting, because, you know, you've flown, it costs different amounts of money per ticket, depending on when you want to get there. Yeah. I mean, uh, just this week we had Cam Newton offer somebody $1,500 for a little extra leg room on a flight to Paris and he was turned down. So uh, maybe it's a little more expensive than we think, but 55 grand, you know, that sounds like a a deal to rent a plane all by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm only 5'11". But I hate sitting in uh, regular airplane seats because I, for more than three hours, my legs are just like, please, I need, I need some more space than this. I can't imagine what it's like for somebody who's actually six foot four and taller in some cases. Yeah, flying's terrible. I'm, I'm 5'11 also and a little, a little rotund, uh, so always have to go for the aisle so I can lean out or... Uh window seat so I can lean over the best is flying with a companion of normal size. So you can just take a lot of their seat. That's kind of my strategy from here on out. Oh yeah. When I went home the other weekend, I was head on girlfriend's shoulder, like passed out so I could get a little bit more of a stretch. Anyway, people (laughs) love our WNBA. That's all right, guys. What they came here for hot WNBA talk followed by some hot dead season fantasy football talk tonight. We're going to, just two topics since we're playing shorthanded. Uh, we're going to talk about the Patriots running back situation, which is befuddling me. So I want to chat it out here with Jordan on the pod. And then we're going to talk about the Browns, who are getting a lot of attention and, and deservedly so this offseason. 
And so I'll, I'll just go ahead and kick us off. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, I tweeted out, you know, someone had asked me which New England running back should they draft this year? And I kind of flippantly said, like, you draft the cheapest one because we're wrong every year. And, you know, the third running back is always the one who produces. Uh, and then I actually went back and did some research on whether or not that was true. So we have some numbers here. I'll try to go quickly. Uh, in 2018, James White finished as the PPR RB6. And he was drafted behind Rex Burkhead, who was going at the 604, and Sony Michelle who was going at the 7-11. So James White went third, finished first. James White was a ninth-round pick last year. Uh, then in 2017, Deion Lewis finished fifth in PPR and was uh, drafted at the 13-12, also the third New England running back taken behind Mike Gillisley. Oh, sorry, the fourth running back taken behind Mike Gillisley, James White, and Rex Burkhead. Uh, and then in 2016, people got very close. James White was the first running back taken Legarrette Blunt was the second running back taken for New England at the 808 and Legarrette Blunt finished ninth in PPR with like 1400 touchdowns on uh just over 1400 touches uh so I, I think we're in the same situation with New England again this year James White is finally getting the credit that he deserves and I think people are you know they have their eye on the New England backfield even though we've been burned with it so many times because Tom Brady is getting older. He's still a, a functioning quarterback, but depending on, I, I think Josh Gordon's situation is really going to be the make or break thing for the Patriots this year, because without Josh Gordon, they're going into the year with, you know, pretty good offensive line, a nice stable of running backs and Julian Edelman. Uh, so, so no ability really to stretch the field. Or if Josh Gordon comes in, well, then they have their giant wide receiver. Uh, when Gordon played last year, had some great numbers with Brady to kind of stretch the field. But I think as the rest of the NFL is moving towards the spread offense, you know, the ever-adaptable Bill Belichick is saying, you know, I've got an old quarterback and everybody else is bringing in these uh, safety linebacker hybrids. And he's going to do like we saw in the playoffs. They're just going to line up and run the football. And since this isn't the Seattle Seahawks. I think people don't talk as much mess about that. So out of the New England running backs this year, are you drafting any of them or, or who's your favorite? I think like just for the sake of consistency, James White would be my favorite. But there's always, I mean, remember when we really like as a fantasy football community talked ourselves into both Mike Gillisley and Rex Burkhead in like separate years just because we couldn't like figure it out. I'm not sure what the intangibles were that made them so valuable, but we just were like, yeah, he's going to be, he's going to be the guy plug him in. He's going to go. Um, I, I don't know what to make of their backfield because we haven't really seen a fully unleashed and healthy Sony Michelle. I feel like even when he was playing, he wasn't at a hundred percent or he wasn't able to, you know, get his footing being a young player and, uh, in the New England offense. And then they, they go out and draft Damian Harris. Uh, that's the right guy, right? Alabama running back. Um, I was I was hoping that you would keep talking because I'm looking it up right now. That sounds okay. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I picked him up in a dynasty league because he was um, just a running back who kept on falling. And I, I'm like, you know what? If he was in a better situation, he would have been drafted higher, I'm sure. Um but he's in New England, and I'm not sure why New England drafted him, whether he, it was just like a insurance thing in case Sony Michelle 
they feel like he's just like a fragile player or if they're just like, you know what, let's just get as many running backs as possible because screw fantasy football players. We want to make this complicated for them. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was Damian Harris. So nailed it. Good work. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of looking at what teams do in the off season because it's the only time that we get to see NFL teams being totally honest with you. You can't draft a running back and say, ah, well, we just, we just had to pick and you know, we weren't really worried about it. Had to pick somebody. Uh, I, I think picking a running back even late shows that there is some concern there. Uh, last year, Sony Michelle looked fantastic when he played and was healthy, uh, but missed a lot of time with his knee. There's already reports early in this offseason that he's had a knee scope done. Uh, you know, James White has, has been really healthy, even for being a small back. And then Rex Burkhead has had trouble staying on the field as well, runs really violently and just doesn't seem to have the body for it. So I've been picking up Damian Harris and uh, really late in best ball drafts, just because I, I don't understand why the Patriots would spend premium draft capital. I want to say that he was a second or third round draft pick uh, on the heels of spending a first round draft pick. Uh, again, when the whole community says running backs don't matter, the Patriots seem to be swerving. So I don't know why they would spend that if they don't plan on using him or aren't at least legitimately worried uh, that Sony Michelle is not going to be able to carry the ball for him. So, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm copping out and taking the cheap option, uh, but I'll probably be doing that in redraft too, just holding on to it and seeing how it turns out. Because I just, you know, J- James White's, uh, let's see where he's going. I, I don't think that he's too expensive. He's certainly not going off the board where he finished uh, last year, but, you know, he's still going, James White's still going behind. Sony Michelle. Sony Michelle's going off at 502 and James White going at 508. This is all fantasy football calculator 12 team PPR. Uh, so that, that's about right for a New England backfield, but I, I'd rather not try to play the maddening dance of picking which running back it's going to be. I'd rather just kind of draft Damian Harrison and, and wait until someone gets hurt and we find out Tom Brady can't throw the ball anymore. And, and then I'll put that number one running Patriots running back in there. Yeah, I mean, like you said before, uh, Damian Harris was a, th- a third-round pick, which is, again, on the heels of Sony Michelle being a first-round pick. And in today's NFL, a, a third-round running back is, like, still top-tier, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't know. One of the things the Patriots like to do, you hear this all the time, is they don't ask – you know, what a player can't do. They always ask themselves what a player can do. So clearly they think that Damian Harris fills some sort of role for them um, in some sort of tangible way. And he, um, I feel like he could see the field one way or another, whether that's through a, a timeshare, uh, who knows, maybe they think he's a really good pass block running back to help, uh, you know, protect their thousand year old quarterback, uh, who knows, really? I, I've given up trying to guess what the Pats are going to do on offense. Uh, got burned in one league by Chris Hogan last year. I'm uh, not going to try to pick which running back it is. I would go after James White if the draft price was right. But, yeah, at this current juncture, I think the only guy I'm truly comfortable picking is Tom Brady. Yeah, and I think Julian Edelman, where he's going kind of third, fourth round, is a very solid pick just because there's – there's not much else there. Uh, and the Patriots do seem to be 
shrinking the field, not vertically, but horizontally running a lot of uh, tighter sets because they don't have the personnel anymore. Even when Gronk was playing last year, he wasn't quite the Gronk we remember. He, he had an amazing Super Bowl we remember, right? But he, he had like two catches or, or something. He had the biggest catch of the game leading to the only touchdown. Uh, but he's just, he's just fallen off. And so once Josh Gordon was suspended again, they really lost that vertical outlook. So uh, I'll definitely be keeping a real close eye on Josh Gordon, who I've also been picking kind of as a free pick in round 19 or 20 in best ball. Cause you know, if you, if you play as I have full faith, you know, if he can get 10 games in that we're going to get a thousand yards and eight or nine touchdowns out of him uh, or, or zero. <laughs> and, and that's why he's free. Uh, so I think it's, I had one more stat here. So I looked at, uh, Rushes and pass attempts to running backs by team. And I separated just New England from 2014 to 2018. And each year in that five-year span, the Patriots are giving more and more touches or attempts to their running backs. They started with 424 in 2014 and went up every year to 563. And so, you know, one, I already thought the Patriots are going to try to continue to feature their running backs, but it looks like that's been the plan for a while. And while that's been going on, the NFL has gone in the other direction. All of the teams that are not the Patriots started off in 2014 with 14,738 running back either rushes or, or pass attempts. And that number has steadily declined except for a bump in 2017, which it doesn't fit my narrative, so I'm just not going to you know, mention it. Uh, and they're down to 14,004 running back uh, touches or completions. So, so again, this is the Patriots – kind of doing the opposite of what the league does. And I don't, I don't think they're necessarily set out to do the opposite, but really just taking advantage of the the skills that they have. Tom Brady getting older, becoming a fantastic game manager with the pop cap arm. So super tempting situation in New England, but it's still the same old good luck uh, picking who it's going to be. Yeah, with an um, aging quarterback, a Hall of Fame quarterback, but an aging quarterback nonetheless, and Dante Skarnickia coaching up your offensive line, I would want as many fresh running backs as possible. Yeah, I think it's a good strategy. And, and it's just fun to have teams going completely the opposite way. And, and the Patriots have shown they can they can do it. So I know without Pete here, we don't want to talk too kindly about the Patriots, but uh, got to throw that in there. Um, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Nah, don't draft any Patriots. Yeah, right. They're not any good. This is the year that they all fall off. We're on uh, the Dan Hanzus train for uh, predicting Tom Brady's downfall. That's going to be this year. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so we're going to take a, a quick pause for some advertising, but as kind of a tease to make sure that you stick with us. When we come back, Jordan will tell us his favorite dinosaur. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. 
With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, and we're back. Jordan, what is your favorite dinosaur? You know what? I've always been partial to the Triceratops. Um, I've always liked that they can get into a, a good defensive formation uh, with their shield head yeah. type of thing, but they can also impale the hell out of you with their horns. So I, I've always been a big fan of the Triceratops. Strong choice. I think turning your defense into an offense, especially for a Paleolithic creature, is a good move. They got the spiky tail also, depending on what drawings you're looking at. Uh, always seems to be squaring off against the mighty T-Rex. So kind of an underdog story. I really I really like that choice. I like it. Hey, you know what? T-Rex, Velociraptor, all too cliche of picks. So got to go outside the box. Yeah, that's just picking... That's picking your you know, 6'4 gazelle wide receiver who who can't stay on the field, I think. that's The Triceratops seems to fit your uh, in-the-trenches NFL narrative. I like yeah, that. That's the brand. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Our next topic tonight, we're going to talk about uh, a situation that a lot of people are excited about, and a lot of people are kind of pumping the brakes. So I'll, I'll throw it over to you, Jordans. The Browns have made a lot of acquisitions this summer, I'm not going to run through them all, but you know, mainly uh, Baker Mayfield in the second year and Odell Beckham Jr., uh, questionable character guy, Kareem Hunt. Some folks are projecting Baker Mayfield as their number one QB off of his incredibly, off of his amazing season last year where he didn't play a full year and still put up something like 37 touchdown. Just look absolutely lights out, especially in games against the Bengals with a former head coach, uh, who didn't let him start commanding the defense. And if anyone wants to see the spread uh, the spread offense at work in the NFL, both games that the Browns played against the Bengals last year are great examples of that. Uh, the Browns seemingly picking on Vontez Perfect and it working to the tune of like 48 points a game. So just really fun football to watch. Uh, Jordan, where are you coming down on the Browns this year for, for redraft and, and even dynasty? Yeah, so what the Browns have done is they've amassed a ton of really great weapons, but it's kind of made for a murky fantasy situation. Um, I, I definitely think even with the addition of um, Kareem Hunt, they kind of got to keep Nick Chubb in a feature role. Um, he's a home run hitter. It's. I mean, I don't want to be banging my head against the wall telling the Browns to give Nick Chubb the ball like I was last year with the Packers and Aaron Jones. I've been on like a hundred podcasts of of this show talking about Aaron Jones, so I won't uh, bludgeon that to death again. Um, but Nick Chubb definitely needs to be featured. Uh, the person I'm worried about the most, especially from a dynasty perspective, would be Antonio Callaway. I think the addition of Odell Beckham Jr. and just the overall freakish, freakishness of David Njoku as he continues to get better get better as a pass catcher, um, I think they'll definitely cut into what Antonio Callaway can do and what he showed um, last season. Um, Callaway was like really surprisingly effective in the red zone last year. Um, he had 10 catches and brought seven of those in for touchdowns. 
um, which is something that you really enjoy seeing for somebody who's kind of pigeonholed as a deep threat. Um, now, he was also very effective on third down, averaging 16.7 yards uh, per catch down the field. But one thing we know about Odell Beckham Jr. is he's a pretty clutch performer. Um, I think he's, and rightfully so, should be one of those guys that Baker, or should be the guy that Baker Mayfield um, has a, as the first read on third downs because he will get open for you. Um Jarvis Landry led the team in targets last season, um, but I don't really see his production dropping that much because of the Odell Beckham um, addition. Um, I, I foresee, if I'm to guess, it would be uh, Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham taking the short and intermediate routes with Odell Beckham occasionally stretching the field, um, but Antonio Callaway being the primary guy that stretches it. Um, so that kind of puts him in a boomer bust type of situation, um, where he could end up having, you know, four catches for a hundred yards and a touchdown or two, but other weeks he might not see the ball very frequently because Odell Beckham is reigning in 10 catches for 175 yards and a touchdown himself. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, the, I think Jarvis Landry, he remains a high upside wide receiver too in PPR leagues, maybe an overqualified flex slot. Um, Odell Beckham is first, second round draft pick. Um, but Antonio Callaway, I, I'm not sure I'm looking his way very early in drafts like I would have if there wasn't the Odell Beckham edition. Yeah, I think Callaway's going pretty late. He's not on fantasy football calculators uh, draft list. So, you know, probably going outside the top 10, 15 rounds. I think that will probably change. There is a lot of hype for the Browns. If you believe in Baker Mayfield, he can do plenty to support, uh, you know, I think four, four receivers with Odell potentially threatening for the wide receiver one, uh, you know, overall wide receiver one. We've seen him kind of, we've seen him do that before and he's struggled to stay healthy, but he's done this, with Eli Manning, who, you know, I'm not going to bag on as much as everybody else, but I think Baker Mayfield showed us more last year than we've seen out of Eli Manning for a while. So I think, I think Odell is a kind of lock first round pick, even if the Browns aren't quite as spectacular as everybody is hoping they will be. I, I think it's still going to be relatively easy for Odell to give you 12 or 1300 yards with, you know, nine, 10, 11 touchdowns with, with upside, just kind of, you know, maybe even higher than what we've seen out of DeAndre Hopkins for the, for the past couple of years. Uh, what we saw Freddie Kitchens do the second half of the season when he took over as offensive coordinator was run a lot of spread, ran a lot of uh, two tight end set single back running formation and then they would kind of flex into a spread formation with five wide, having Duke Johnson be the the fourth wide receiver. And even without Odell Beckham, they were they were making some teams look really silly doing that. I think uh, Duke Johnson retains a little value early in the season before Kareem Hunt comes back, and I think that's why the Browns want to keep him is that he can flex out as that inside wide receiver and go empty, really spread teams out. But I think you nailed it with Nick Chubb. I, I know people are worried about Kareem Hunt coming back late in the season, but I think that that's baked into his cost 
in the second round. So I'm a believer in Nick Chubb. I, I, I had a huge crush on him last year. And as soon as Carlos Hyde got traded, I was dancing around the room because I knew we were going to see what we saw and then was crushed this offseason when the Browns brought in uh, Kareem Hunt and just kind of made everyone that was in love with Nick Chubb worry about what was going to happen. Uh, now, my prediction for here and the piece that you want, if, if Odell in the first is too rich for you or if he doesn't fall into the early second, is I think that I, I've always thought Jarvis Landry is good. I thought the knock on him is uh, all he does is catch 100 balls for 1,100 yards. I, I just never quite understood why that was a negative. You know, in Miami, mm-hmm. playing with <laughs> playing with Tannehill, uh, you know, so the the one caution there is last year with Baker Mayfield, he wasn't getting targeted a ton and didn't produce. But I think with Jarvis Landry moving into the second wide receiver role, that we may see kind of the Antonio Brown, Juju Smith-Schuster roles of now that Jarvis Landry is on the second corner, he can embarrass that guy and he's going to be open all of the time. What do you think about taking a shot on Jarvis Landry and say the fifth, sixth round? Yeah, I I remember that conversation happening in football circles too about Jarvis Landry when he inked that big contract with the Browns um, or when he got traded there and signed and trade, something like that. I don't know. When he ended up on the Browns, it was basically like, oh, he's only a uh, – uh, he only gets catches, and he has a low yard average. And I'm like, he played in Miami. His quarterback was Ryan Tannehill, but he was still a route-running technician. Like, there's nothing wrong with being a guy who can just get open. That's all you need in the NFL um, is just a guy who, who knows how to get open, and that's what Jarvis Landry um, is able to do. And you're right, he'll be able to do that a lot more effectively when the team's second-best defensive back is on him and not the primary lockdown guy. Um, and we didn't even... we didn't, Nick would be mad at us right now. It took us this long to wax poetic about uh, the god Todd Monkin. We have oh, to, yeah. We have to do a little bit of a comparison here. Of Tampa Bay Buccaneers' offensive fame from last year, right? Yes. Behind door number one is... Ryan Fitzpatrick, Mike Evans, Deshaun Jackson, and uh, Chris the Godwin. Behind door number two is Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, and we'll go Antonio Callaway, David Njoku. And Nick Chubb. One of the two. And Duke Johnson. Nick Chubb, Duke Johnson, Kareem Hunt. Which offense are you more excited to watch? (laughs) Yeah, and that's I think that's an actual fair question because they're both so exciting. I think Deshaun Jackson leaving the Bucks is gonna hurt because even though he never seemed to get on the same page with Jameis Winston, Deshaun Jackson is still incredibly fast and defenses just have to roll a safety over to that side of the field. And I think that's what we're gonna see Odell Beckham do. Odell Beckham, I, you know, I hesitate to say is just as fast as Deshaun Jackson, but I think he probably is, but I but he's also a more dynamic wide receiver than Deshaun Jackson, who, who is not a one-trick pony, but but I, I don't think he's got quite got those Antonio Brown, Odell Beckham quicks. So this offense is going to be fun. Let's not forget, too, Mike Evans is a wide receiver one. He's a legit wide receiver one, and for whatever reason, we're kind of cooling on him a little bit after a really good uh, you know, first and second season. 
Not me. In my way too early ranks, he is my second or third wide receiver. Uh, one, because you got to get some clicks. And two, because, yeah, he's fantastic. Uh, it, he had a horrible year one year, remember, when he only got 1,000 yards? Like, can you imagine like, what he would do if he had a consistent quarterback? Yeah. It'd be great. I, so, so since we've, we've strayed off topic, and I'm, and I'm happy to talk about Tampa Bay, too, uh, what do you think about Jameis Winston? Him and Mariota seem to be one of the most hyped one and two quarterback combos in a while, uh, where both have turned out to be the wrong answer. Yeah, I mean, for wildly different reasons to Mariota because he yeah. can't stay on the field, James Winston because uh, he tends to suck on the field. But James Winston is all, I I keep on preaching this whenever James Winston comes up is he's kind of always been that uh, that mistake prone quarterback since college. Uh, he won a national championship, but at the same time, he had one of the best defenses in the country. Um, actually, with in the past couple of years, I was one of the best Florida State defenses there was. He would throw picks. Five or six guys go in the first two days of the draft from that team. Something, Something ridiculous. Like yeah. yeah, like Jalen Ramsey was on that team. Um, there was he, – he would throw picks all the time. But he would have a good defense who would uh, slow the other team or, you know, prevent the bleeding from getting too excessive. And then he would be able to, you know, get his shit together and – um, regain his focus. Um, God, Bruce, Bruce Arians said something like he he sees something in Jameis Winston and his footwork, and that maybe he can correct that a little bit to get that those mistakes down. Um, I mean, Bruce Arians again, he was comfortable. You know, he was uh, happily out of the league. Well, maybe he wasn't happy being uh, an anchor. But he, he was out of the league, and he wouldn't have taken a job, I don't think, at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers if he didn't feel like there was, you know, something to work with, at least a little bit. Like, Bruce Arians, I feel like, is the type of coach otherwise who you'd have to lure out with a team who was just about there. They just need the right coach. But Tampa Bay is far from there, so he must see something in the quarterback that he likes. Yeah, it'll be interesting, even though – Deshaun Jackson and Adam Humphreys, I think, left. There's still a ton of talent with Chris Godwin, uh, Mike Evans, and uh, O.J. Howard. So now the the backfield is where we're starting to hear a lot of glowing praise for second-round pick Ronald Jones, who had a historically terrible year last year. I don't have the numbers off of my head, but if you watch the Tampa Bay Bucks or follow them at all, you know he had a terrible year. People really don't like Peyton Barber, though, who handed in a, a quite the journeyman season, not scoring very often. He's going off in the 10th, 11th round of drafts, and I think he's a great value, kind of that late pick where, you know, if he scores a couple of touchdowns in the first three or four games, you can start sliding him into your flex, and if it turns out they're giving Ronald Jones the ball, you can you just cut him, and, and you've lost nothing. Uh, so... Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Jameis Winston has turned out to be, to quote the late, great Danny Green, uh, he, he is exactly who we thought he was. He, he has been, he's been the exact same quarterback in the NFL that he was in college. Yeah, and the thing is, it feels like Jameis Winston has been with us for a while now, but he's only really 25. You know, as much yeah. as we'd like our first overall picks um, at quarterback to always come out and be Andrew Luck, uh, Sometimes they're Sam Bradford. Um, 
So maybe that could be his destiny, or maybe, you know, just at 25 years old, he could still turn into a, I don't know, at least a division winning quarterback. Maybe. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of times you're right. And you hit on a good point there. We get too impatient uh, because we've seen one person do it. That kind of ruins it for everyone else. We saw Odell Beckham and, and that wide receiver class come out and light the world on fire. And we forgot that before that, we usually gave wide receivers three years before we expected them to produce. Now we just expect it right away. Uh, I, I, I want Jameis Winston to do well just because the more good quarterbacks there are, the better. Uh, I'd like to see him do well enough just to lose because he seems kind of like a jerk uh, from, from what we hear. But uh, I don't usually break those ties on my fantasy team. So I'll just I'll load up on the Bucks this year. I'm looking forward to it. You mentioned Chris Godwin. He, he's going. He's going pretty high. I'll, I'll pull up the numbers here. Uh, he's going in the fifth. Are you taking Chris Godwin in the fifth round? I tried to get Chris Godwin on all my fantasy teams last year. Um, it didn't pan out as well as I had hoped, but Deshaun Jackson is gone, so there are targets to be had. Um, we can't forget the Bucks still have Cameron Brait along with. Um, O.J. Howard, so, like, depending on who the quarterback was last year, that was the uh, the favorite tight end because Jameis liked to lean a little bit more heavily on Cameron Braid, especially in the red zone. Um, I, I like Chris Godwin, though. I think he's one of those guys who just is, like, maybe he's not going to just suddenly break out and have a really epic year, but, you know, he's, he's taking incremental steps season by season, getting better. Yeah, those are some good players to keep an eye on. I think, you know, personally, if I'm the Bucks, I love the two tight end set with Brait and, you know, Howard on the field at the same time. That gives you a lot of receiving options. Either of those guys are bad blockers. I wouldn't say that they're the best, and I wouldn't say I'm the best judge of character. But just watching watching a few games on, uh, on the old Game Pass, they're not terrible. And I think that you could put defenses in a bind there. So it'll be real interesting to see little Bruce Arians and, and Byron Leftwich, who – Struggled mightily with the Cardinals, just like everybody else on that team. Be interesting to see how that turns out. Also, draft to Sean Jackson on the Eagles. Like, just additional bonus coverage. Oh, yeah. I like him back on the Eagles. Um, oh, and on, on the other end, too, of the spectrum with the Mariota stuff, I also do want to remind folks again that Mariota, even though he's been injured and, you know, had those sorts of issues, he's also had different offensive coordinators like every single season that he's been in the league. It's getting Alex Smith. Yeah. That lack of consistency might be hindering him even more so than the injuries. Um, Well, of course the injuries don't help, but you know, if he could get a good healthy year and um, you know, maybe somebody who is at least installing a similar offense to what he saw last year, I give him the chance to actually build upon it and figure it out and learn it more. Uh, who knows? Again, Mariota, still very young, even though both these quarterbacks feel like they've been in our lives for a decade. Yeah, I think they're still both on their rookie deals. I want to say they're moving into their fifth-year option, the both of them, but don't quote me on that. Um, of course, as a Texans fan, I hope the Titans are awful. And, uh, yeah, that's just a little personal bias. I think the only person you draft on the Titans is Derrick Henry now. I don't even know if that. I don't know if Derrick Henry is valuable until uh, November, December. Right. <laughs> For those three games a year, he is going to be fantastic. 
Oh, out of this world fantastic, though. It might be worth it. Yeah. All right, Jordan, I know we've been a little bit helter-skelter tonight. Uh, Pete is a really good host, and we really appreciate his work for keeping us on track. So you get to see what it looks like when, when an amateur tries to take over and slip into that seat. Uh, but Jordan, I'll give you the last word here. Anything else you want to chat about while we're, while we're on the pod? No, I'm, uh, when we were talking about podcast topics earlier, uh, today and yesterday, I looked up when hard knocks was going to start. Cause I was like, Ooh, maybe we can do a little hard knocks preview. Not until August 6th. So still counting down the days until then. Yeah, that'll be a good one. Uh, Hopefully we'll have more to talk about than uh, Hard Knocks recaps, but I wouldn't put it past us. Uh, no pop culture tonight since I don't get any of the references, but don't worry if that's why you tuned in. We'll get back to that uh, when when Nick and Pete come back. So I guess we'll wrap it up. Jordan, thanks for joining me tonight. Uh, so for the RB1 podcast, I am Clark Barnes at NFL Clark. Don't forget to follow Jordan Smith at Jordan underscore Smith. 27 for all of the hot WNBA and women's athletics sports takes. Thanks for listening.